I'm Mark. And I'm Mark. And welcome to the Mark and Mark podcast. So, um, do you want to say why we did this or like? Yeah, I, uh, we could talk about, uh, are you recording right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like, oh, dang. Okay. <laughs> I'm just shooting the shit with you right now. Okay. Uh, we could talk about why we're doing this, uh, uh, the reason, the ideas that we have for it. Yeah, and maybe oh go on and maybe like what do we plan to do with it okay um and our main topic for today is uh rewatchable movies and tv shows um yeah so like we started this oh we've had this idea for like years at this point i think right yeah a couple like maybe after high school into college we thought about it Except it's either we didn't have the time or the uh, the resources to do so. And that definitely did not have the money at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, definitely not. But considering the time that we're in right now with everyone having so much free time, we figured maybe this is the best time to do it. <laughs> Or and like, something fun, you know. Yeah. Um, like what? Ha- what have you been doing besides like playing games or watching Harry Potter on America? <laughs> well, let me see. Got got class canceled about two weeks ago. Moved back down home because I was going to school an hour away from home. Uh. Brought uh, technically moved back into my room and and reorganized everything. Uh, schools on online now. Uh, everything's online. No, no classes on campus. Uh, what I've been doing recently, just to keep me occupied while everybody is at home and everything shut down, is just trying to be more active. You know. Uh, you know, gyms are closed, uh, parks are closed, hiking trails are closed. So just the occasionally like, uh, going out every morning, trying to do something active, some cardio work, anything that keeps my mind busy. Cause I can't stand being at home all day. It just drives me nuts. <laughs> and then when I am home, as you said, normally just video games, playing a lot of video games, talking to friends, watching movies. That's about the gif. Okay, yeah, I I think I'm in a similar situation. Like, um, I think arguably between like our group, I was like the one that was trying to go to the gym a lot, especially before this whole um quarantine. Yeah. But now, like, in quarantine with like the gyms closed, I feel like I've lost quite a bit of the drive to do like active stuff because. With work, especially, like, I get off late, and I wake up really late, and it just, like, I've lost the time in the morning to, like, want to do things, like, actively, and, like, by the time I've eaten and, like, cleaned up, it's, like, 12 or 1, so I'm, like, um, either I'm about to go to work and I got four or five, or um, I'm just too lazy to do anything because it's See, so that's... late. 
Oh my bad. Oh my my, my biggest thing about wanting to be active more is the fear of like doing that. You know, you you don't have the time anymore because I, I, we're both pretty actively going to the gym and working out and, and like taking care of our health. And then all of a sudden, everything shut down. Yeah, um, I'm even more concerned about my health. You know, so I want to be sure that I'm taking care of myself still that I'm still being healthy and everyone else too is being active in some way of uh, like sitting at home and watching TV is fine all day, you know, but eventually it gets to me that like, I want to, you know, move around a little bit. I can't just sit at home all day. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I like that. It keeps me going that I want to be active and I want to go out still. Um, I mean, besides like the active stuff, um, I found myself having a lot more time to catch up on like podcasts, ironically. Um, <laughs> listen to new artists that I feel like I wouldn't have really given them a chance mm-hmm. because I, um, I feel like I'm like most people where I have like certain amount of songs that I have either on repeat mm-hmm. or just like yeah. on a cycle. Right. I, I I'm that person too. I'm that type of I wouldn't say naive, but I'm just I guess I'm too lazy to seek out other new artists or songs that are out there. And I just rather stick to my own playlist or whatever that I've had for like going on for like the past year or two. Yeah. Um I haven't gotten much of a chance to catch up on movies or shows, but I've been like keeping busy with like Call of Duty or Animal Crossing. <laughs> um, any of that Doom though? <laughs> I anytime I have time to like play video games, uh, it's usually with you and like Kyle. So I've been putting off Doom every now and then. Oh man, I still haven't gone Doom. I've just been playing the 2016 one. I'm like, oh, I need to get Doom Eternal so bad. Yeah. Um. Going back to the whole Harry Potter marathon that you've been watching, like, uh, almost every day. Um, <laughs> what movies do you have that you consider rewatchable? So, going off what he just said is that recently, ever since I've gone home, is that every time I turn on the TV, there's a 24-7 Harry Potter marathon, one through seven, all well, part one and two of seven, but, like, Every day they've just been playing the Harry Potter movies. It just got me hooked. And I, I consider considering that we're talking about most watch or uh, most rewatchable movies, that I find just the Harry Potter franchise easy, easily uh, accessible to anyone. Like very simple premise. Uh, although it does have it does deal with complex themes and whatnot, but very easy to get into. Very family friendly and all that. Uh, exciting you know it has everything that you'd want in like an exciting franchise and especially how how much success has garnered through like you know through the books the movies uh theme parks all that cult popular culture in general it's just very accessible to anyone you know yeah um while we're still on a topic of harry potter which is your uh, favorite movie that you've watched of harry potter oh man so, I'd say I, I would, ironically, I would say Order of the Phoenix 
but that's the one I've least watched. <laughs> the 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 ones I have most watched though would probably be either Chamber of Secrets or Prisoner of Azkaban. And I know everyone says their favorite, the best Harry Potter movie in the franchise is Prisoner of Azkaban, given that like it transitions from that kid-friendly movie to a more adult and more darker themes that the books and the movies expand on later, which I agree. Prisoner of Azkaban is a really great movie. But my personal favorite would be Order of the Phoenix because it bridges what we learn from Azkaban into Phoenix with we, we now get more time with Sirius Black, you know, Gary Oldman. We actually get more time with his character and we learn more about it. We, we get that stronger bond between him and Harry and like this guy really does care for Harry and he wants to look after him. But he's, he's also doing things behind the curtain that also have, he has to protect Harry. He has to garner resources and form alliances with people to get ready for a much more larger threat in the looming future. Mm. But yeah, I order the Phoenix is definitely my favorite movie. Um, I, I think easily my favorite Harry Potter movie. I mean, you already said it, it was a prisoner of Azkaban mm-hmm. because, uh, I think at the time they like, they went from kids to like teenagers so seeing yeah, yeah. the the transition from them growing up to already being like 13 or 14 in the the movie and having to de- having to deal with like adult themes like already and like the random um time travel stuff like i think that was mind blowing to me as a kid watching it and I think I've been able to rewatch it plenty of times. Yeah, I think Prisoner of Azkaban was actually the first Harry Potter movie I've actually seen in theaters. I remember the first watching the first two when it came out on DVD, and then that's what hooked me on to watching Harry Potter in the first place. And then when I got around to getting a little bit older when I was younger, uh, I was able to watch Prisoner of Azkaban, and I was just taken far back of how much more mature and much more darker the themes were in this movie compared to the other two. I mean, I think Chamber of Secrets had its moments of being dark, you know, Harry having to go through the, the school and finding kids who are petrified and, like, uh, the whole ending with the basculist and everything. But I think Prisoner of Azkaban definitely escalated it much more farther from being just a kid's movie to much more younger young teens older or young adult themes i i think what solidified it being one of the darker movies was that they threw you in almost immediately with the dementors mm-hmm. and and like I, I keep laughing about this anytime i watch it but uh there's a professor that gives or like at the time he don't know he's a professor there's, <laughs> a, there's a stranger that gives him chocolates uh-huh. And like it cures him or at least makes him feel better. I think I remember like thinking like that the idea of having a chocolate like cure things was funny. <laughs> Threw it off for a loop. Yeah, was it Lupin? Yeah, Professor Lupin. That was another great character, you know, from that movie. Uh Professor Lupin, the introduction of him and 
how in that movie he actually does he he actually takes the time to help Harry understand what it means to learning uh, enchantments and spells and the dark arts and what it means to defend yourself against e- much more evil and far more foul creatures like a Dementor, you know? Because yeah. I think in the past movies, the professors were just basically like, oh, let's have a, an author, a, a, a really bronzy author, teach kids about the dark arts and let's, let, let, let him be a really famous guy and he's really into himself and selfish and all that. But in this movie, uh, I think what it changed is that he actually takes the time with all these kids. Like, hey, you know, I'm going to teach you how to defend yourself from dark, the darker things in this world. And he does that through using what was it, the closet, right? And it comes out like a boggart or something, and it replicates their deepest fears. And it teaches them to, like, let's I'm going to help you overcome your fears, but... I'm not just teaching you that that overcoming your fears will solve everything. I'm teaching you like if you can get rid of this one fear, you could get rid of many other fears ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, since we considered like Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, Chamber of Secrets rewatchable, what are the qualities of like a rewatchable film in your opinion? Um, first, first of all, like it has to be entertaining, you know, uh, I would consider the most entertaining one of that franchise. Definitely the the last movie, you know, it's the resolution of like the entire Harry Potter saga. You get the big duel with Voldemort and Harry and all that. And you get the exciting climactic battles with professors and all that. And students you wanted to see fight in this entire movie. And they actually get a chance to shine and like prove themselves that they are this awesome wizard. Uh, another thing about uh, rewatchable movies are like moments or like scenes that really catch on to you, which goes into entertaining and like characters that you really invest yourself into. Char- characters that you find that are like you can't let go of you that you want to rewatch these these movies with these characters in it, and then it, it makes you want to be like. After I'm finished with this movie, I can't wait to go back and watch it again, you know, and experience this journey that they're going on to because I want to go through their, through that journey with them as well. Mm. Yeah, I think having characters with um, deep a characteristics help mm-hmm. in the rewatchable um, aspect. But at the same time, I feel like there are movies that have um, one-dimensional characters that are like like one-note characters mm-hmm. that still work really well in the scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, entertaining. Um, whether that be because of comedy or action, like the build-up and the little like dead air that they have between um, arcs or scenes, I feel like. Um, helps in making it rewatchable because mm-hmm. something like um, what the Irishman? Like I personally haven't watched it yet, but oh, neither have I. <laughs> it's it's a what three hour movie? Yeah, um, <laughs> and like there are Scorsese movies that are rewatchable. It's just that it's it's intimidating that it's a three hour movie, 
and like you're not sure if it's um gonna keep you attentive the entire way or not i think i think you'll make a great point there about rewatchable movies because you want it to be not too long but not too short you know you don't want it to be too long that you're bored of it already and not too short that you're gonna forget about it so you want it to be like right there in the middle where oh as soon as it's done i just want to replay it again and i wouldn't mind watching the watching another hour and a half or two hours of this movie again over and over again yeah like um i'm looking at my list right now and there is a mix of like different um movies like whether it be three hour movies or and like 90 minute movie mm-hmm. and and I think, have- oh, uh, and i think like it's like a melting pot of the genres that i have yeah mine is definitely the same too like looking at my list um it have a, a array of different genres that are on here and each of them have different run times but each of them means something different to me as in me as in the terms of rewatchability you know some of these might be long but for me it's a movie that i'd watch like a month from now and then every and then like a couple months go by and be like oh i want to watch that movie again even though it's like three hours long and i pop it in again yeah um how, how do you want to start off with this list like how many do you have on your list in terms of movies? Um, in terms of movies, I have fifteen. <laughs> yeah. I I have thirteen, but I don't think they're ordered in a specific way. Like not in no, like, n- neither are mine. Yeah. Mine are not ordered in any certain way. Um, do you just want to start from like the bottom to the top? I guess I can start with my first two. So uh-huh. I'll start from fifteen to one. So that way we could we could make it even. So okay. essentially we'll start together on 13. Okay. So my 15 one something I consider rewatchable is some is I see it all the time during Halloween but like I watch this movie when it's not even Halloween and it's another franchise too and it's Scream 1 through 4. Oh. I thought cuz I thought when I was making this list I had a lot of movies that were comedies or action and like yeah these are fun and all but i want to like give me something that makes me feel visceral that makes me feel tense or like something that's much more uh, interesting than the generic genre that it that it's in and i thought about scream because the first the first movie of uh and what the other movies in the franchise do is that it takes the tropes of a generic horror movie and it it makes it meta you know it turns out on its head so like that first scene in scream it has that iconic like 10 15 minute segment with drew barrymore and you're thinking oh the whole time she's the protagonist of this movie but then after 15 minutes she's she's dead she's out of the whole movie and then and she was even featured on like the posters of the first screen movie which was crazy just to be part of like a mini segment of that movie but yeah i the reasons why I find it what rewatchable is um is how what I said there it's meta so like it turns things on its head it doesn't it it blatantly calls out horror genres like oh having sex means you're gonna die and why don't you and guess 
guess what in this movie when you do have sex you don't die but then the person who does who doesn't have sex in the movie does die so like things like that i find it and it, i also think it does have uh, interesting characters too like uh i forgot her name how could i forget her name oh sydney prescott she's in all four of them and i find her story to be interesting while other supporting characters like Courtney Cox and David Arnett are good, good supporting characters, and I just think the franchise in general boosted that that feeling and horror that was beginning to feel stale in the '90s with typical slashers, and like you, eventually you got like the the gore porn with Saw and on like all those other sequels. Yeah. But I think this one like reinvented the horror genre that it could be still fresh and still new but also entertaining as well um while you were talking about like uh, that i think i want to add a 14th to my list mm-hmm. um do you want me to start with my 14th or your 14th? yeah yeah please please go ahead um i think i think uh terminator 2 is going to be that that's a great one. I didn't add that one on my list. <laughs> like, just the fact that it's a sequel that makes it that makes the original like feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I feel like makes this movie like that much more like rewatchable. Like, sure, like it's the second movie of a franchise, but um, you have Arnold going up against like another terminator mm-hmm. and that's always like fun to watch regardless of whether or not you're a fan of like action i also think that the movie has some really great action sequences you know like actions uh, set pieces like you got the iconic uh with john connor on a bike and they're driving and like that the uh the what is it I'm out. They're driving in like that. Oh. Wait, wait. It, well, the he's truck? being chased by the T1000 with the truck. Yeah, yeah. And you got Arnold on the bike, and he's like, he 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 has like the the lever action shotgun, and he's yeah. chasing after both of them. And at this point, you're think I think you know that the T800 is trying to is trying to help. Arnold's character, Arnold, he's trying to help John Connor, but he's still afraid of them, and he's chasing, he's cha- he's running away from both of them. And you have that great scene where, like, the truck just dives over the freeway and just into, like, the damn place they're at, the yeah. damn area. Um, my favorite thing about at least the first and second Terminator is that the protagonists use, like, um, archaic um, technology or um like present technology as opposed to using like futuristic stuff mm-hmm. because like like the T1000 the T800 they're all from like years in the future but the fact that they're using like ancient technology like compared to the futuristic technology mm-hmm. i feel like gives like that um like a good um I don't know what to say. Like a like plot point. I I think you're. I think I know what you're trying to say. It's kind of like uh, trying to 
uh, like at the scene at the at the end of the first Terminator movie, like Sarah Connor uses a uh, a compressor to destroy the Terminator, right? Yeah. And then the second movie, you have uh, what is it? They're in like a metal uh, a metalwork factory or something like that, and then they destroy the T the 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 liquid Terminator by by throwing him into the uh, the molten lava. You know, um, and like. Oh my bad, my bad. Yeah. Like, like what you're what you're saying with the whole like motorcycle chase and a truck chase, that that is like a refreshing sight for like mm-hmm. seeing futuristic robots use like normal technology. But then when you look or at like the technology that created them is destroyed is destroyed by them, right? Yeah. And then like the f- the later movies they use more futuristic looking vehicles and i feel like it doesn't have the same like um pizzazz as the visceral feeling yeah as terminator one and two mm-hmm. uh, what's your 14th my 14th is actually well some might consider it an oddball but it's rush hour oh. <laughs> i uh I love Rush Hour, the first movie, and one and two and three are they're they're not as good as the first, but I when I watch the first one, I feel like watching the the other two. But it's just that chemistry, you know. We were talking earlier about characters. What makes a movie rewatchable is characters, and it's that chemistry, that buddy cop chemistry with with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker that make it watchable for me. They're just mm-hmm. two really funny guys. Jackie Chan is playing like the deadpan serious cop that's just trying to do his job while Chris Tucker is like, Oh yeah, I'm an LAPD cop, but like, I'm also like not taking everything too seriously. Like, come on. <laughs> it's just a job, you know? And like the good things about Jackie Chan being the deadpan cop, it's like when he breaks, like, and like does like funny stuff on purpose. Yeah. Like, um, it makes it that much better. Mm hmm. And that's like that's what I think that makes it memorable for me is like the chemistry they have together. That eventually they do end up learning more about each other, and they do actually at the end end up flipping roles where Jackie Chan's really open and he's very flamboyant. Well, I wouldn't say flamboyant, but very very much more open to Chris Tucker's character. While Chris Tucker's character is a lot more, you know, this is a job. Their their lives at stake. We got to take this serious, but at the same time, they're both trying to like. Have have a fun way with the movie. Oh, is that it? Or yeah. <laughs> um, my thirteenth is a Spider Verse. Oh, okay. Um, I think the fact that well, like it's a whole nother take on Spider Man, but it's not something that you really seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, they even make fun of that. In like the first five minutes with um prime chris pine peter parker saying that he's done all these crazy stuff and that they made fun of the spider-man 3 like emo phase um but like having miles morales having gwen stacy um like be the focal points especially with um jake johnson uh hobo parker 
<laughs> yeah, it was a broke Spider-Man. Like what, Peter B. Parker? Um, mm-hmm. Like, they are, like, unless you're not a fan of, like, or unless you are a fan of Spider-Man, it's, it's like, a whole nother thing that you haven't seen. Like, most people are aware of, like, Miles and Gwen, but, like, I, I think the thing about what makes Spider-Verse fresh and interesting is that people generally know the gif of Spider-Man and who he is. Yeah. You know, we had essentially three three versions of Spider-Man already. We had Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and now Tom, Tom Holland. And everybody knows, you know, oh, gets bit by a spider, gets superpowers, Uncle Ben dies, lives with his aunt now. Uh, like love falls in love with Mary Jane, but Mary Jane has like, troubles in her life that keeps her from being with Peter. And say, same with Peter, he has he has to be he has to balance the life of being Peter Parker and Spider Man, and also as well dealing with issues in his personal life. So I think a lot of people know the idea of who Spider Man is, but what Into the Spider Verse does, and what it does interestingly, is that it gives you that version of Spider Man of like. Oh, what if he really was going on a downhill, you know? And, like, he's not the best role model out there, you know? And then here he is having to teach this young kid how to be Spider-Man when he himself doesn't isn't doesn't know how to be Spider-Man anymore. Or I, I, I get that. But I think it's more, like, Miles' story, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the fact that Spider-Man exists already in his universe gets killed. Now he has to learn how to be Spider-Man mm-hmm. from, like, like you said, like this downhill Spider-Man that, like, just treats everything like it's a, like, another day in the life of Peter B. Parker. Um, but Miles accepting, like, his role, like his new role in society, is a, like, a refreshing take because. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I don't know about you, but I feel like, um, as a quote unquote minority in this world, growing up, like there wasn't many, like people, of, like um, of other ethnicities besides like white people, that mm-hmm. were like <laughs> the Hollywood, um, like superheroes. You have uh-huh. Superman, who's like the chiseled white, six foot two, like jack dude um batman is yet again like a billionaire playboy um well not billionaire playboy that's iron man but like, <laughs> that's that's time that's iron man yeah, yeah um, well yeah he's the same he's the same way right so yeah, you're, he, he's a celebrity so right mm-hmm, so, so it's nice to see a different person and take up the same role as spider-man but with different uh a different background and Another thing about Miles Morales, what I like about him is that he tries to find his own way of being Spider-Man, you know? They introduce, like, what, like, four other Spider-Man characters. You have, like, Gwen Stacy as Spider-Man. You have um, New York York uh, Spider-Man, and then you have, yeah. And then you have, like, Spider-Pig, and then you have that uh, Japanese version of Spider-Man. And they seem to know their way in their own world, while Miles alone doesn't even know how to get his through it. Doesn't know how to get through his own daily basis of life, so that's another interesting aspect of the movie is that it takes us through Miles' 
eyes of how he could balance his own version of Spider-Man while also dealing with his own problems as well. Like uh, another thing is like I like how he still had the Uncle Ben moment, mm-hmm. except in a very very different twist. Like yeah, um, yeah. His uncle Aaron is a um like prowler. Yeah. And, like villain of Spider-Man. Like he was very close to him like before knowing it. But then like knowing that he's like after him um like made it that more tense. But he still had the emotional like moment when was it Kingpin killed off uh um was it Prowler, right? Like toward the end. Mm-hmm. Like it was still his Uncle Ben like type moment. Yeah, that that was his Uncle Ben moment, right? Yeah. But except being like an all good being of Uncle Ben being like this guy is trying to teach Peter the responsibility of being uh responsible of taking care of yourself and knowing what to do and when and when to do and what's right. Um. That that the Uncle Ben moment in this movie is his uncle's actually the bad guy. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't take upon him until his uncle does die and he learns like, oh, you know, like the role of Spider Man is serious. This is serious. There are consequences to taking up this this role and there are responsibilities that I have to learn. Otherwise people are gonna die because of it. Um I just realized that we're like for people that may not be seeing some of these movies, we might be spoiling some of these. <laughs> I mean, you had you had the time to watch all these movies. <laughs> oh, to be fair though, like Spy versus like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, I guess we can now say spoiler alert, even though it's a bit <laughs> late. Just skip to this time code because uh. This is important. Yeah. Um, all spoilers from now on. But also, even, even if you did. Also, it's like 34 minutes in, and we're only on 13. True. You want to just do half? We could do the first five. Or I think an easier way would be to, like, in general, why do we like these movies? Mm hmm. And what makes it click? Because we, we spent a good chunk of time on like harry potter um terminator scream spiders okay well i'll go next and i'll make this one short and sweet because this movie still messes up my mind whenever i watch it and it still confuses me it's uh it's inception in my in my opinion my, my favorite christopher nolan film you know yeah he made batman he made batman begins dark knight he made uh memento and he made the prestige and and dunkirk and all that but i think inception is his 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 grand piece you know it's the mona lisa of his work in my opinion yeah reasons i like it is because i thought it was a different kind of sci-fi at least it wasn't like a the generic sci-fi plot it wasn't like something you would expect and that's the one thing i liked about it because i remember seeing the trailer for this movie and i had i still had no idea what it was about that's the one thing i like christopher nolan he likes to keep things close to his chest and when he's presenting his movies and then when you do watch them you get the full scope of everything yeah so that's what i like about inception it's 
it's original. It's wholly original. The concepts it presents, the the, the storyline it goes through is interesting, and it's 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 new, in my opinion. It it, it definitely uh, caught everyone off guard. I mean, we're still talking about oh the 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 the, the top wiggle a little bit. You know, did it fall off? Did it not? Is he dreaming? Is he not dreaming? Yeah. Uh, so should I do my twelve? Like yeah, I I like I like how you like summarize, like. I like that version of how we're talking about the movies at this point. Uh-huh. Um, my 12 is a Toy Story. Oh, okay. Um, I think I can keep it really short and sweet. It's, I feel like it's one of the top, it's like the top tier echelon um, of animated movies, mm-hmm. possibly um, films in general. Um, it obviously sparked like this whole new um two decade long like Pixar like stretch of animated movies and I think we can mm-hmm. easily like trace it back to Toy Story because the character development um, the uh, the characters itself like the plot you like could easily relate to it as a kid and even then you can still relate to it as like an adult mm-hmm. definitely yeah What's your twelve? My twelve is a. Uh, is I feel like I had to include like a a superhero movie just because, but my twelve is Guardians of the Galaxy, just the first one. Okay. <laughs> Not so big on the second one. That second one's all right. It's one of the better Marvel sequels, but uh, I had to go with the the first Guardians. It just, I think at the time Marvel was, it felt like I've fans of the genre of, of the of the franchise are starting to feel a little bit stale where the things are going you know we're still like dealing with like earth things like secret government uh experiments or like iron man having to deal with a russian guy in, a, in a, his own built iron man suit yeah <laughs> and I think Guardians of the Galaxy just freshened things up a lot more by going to space and having space pirates be the main cast of this of this movie. Yeah, we had Avengers and, and and that movie was awesome. But like, I think Guardians does well as being a pure comedy, uh, movie than it does being an action movie. Uh, as part of the Marvel movies, that Marvel franchise. Yeah, and like. Each one of the characters in the Guardians movies brings a level of comedy that just makes it fresh, makes it snappy, makes it funny no matter what it is. I mean, they they made a, a raccoon and a tree like the best thing in the franchise. <laughs> yeah. And all he does is say three words and the raccoon just wants to like... Literally, he, he's literally the outcast of the group, but they still find ways of making this raccoon character relatable and honest and lovable at the same time. Um, do I do 11? Yeah, you can go to go uh, do 11. Um, so that's, yeah. <laughs> it's a Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I, I had a feeling you were going to bring this one going up, so I didn't put it on my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Ian, I feel like we've at least to each other have talked about this at least from my perspective I've talked about it a Uh lot um um it's one of my top films of the decade 
from like 2009 and 2019 um this the film structure is quite unconventional um even though tom hardy doesn't say much mm-hmm. like, the, the dude moments, has like five lines in yeah, the movie like, the moments he does speak matter um his like his presence on screen is strong Charlize theron is really good as uh, furiosa um and it's like like a really good homage but yet like its own thing of um like the Mad Max films in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, like, I don't know how much I can really talk about it without like diving too deep into it. Well, what I'll say this about Mad Max Fury Road is that plot-wise, very simple. A guy wants something, he, he's angry about it, and Mac, Max is trying to prevent it from happening. You know, he's trying to protect the, this thing. A very simple concept. Uh, what I think it pops out the most is the visual aspect of the movie, the the grand scope of what how the movie is framed and the action set pieces of the movie. It's really the I call I, I would consider it one of the the movies that you would consider an epitome of what an action movie should be. You know, yeah, not too plot heavy, but a story good enough to keep you going while they're entertaining things happening around it. All right. Your 11. My 11 is actually Lord of the Rings. Uh, particularly Return of the King for me, at least. Okay. Uh, I watched... Well, how old was I? I don't know. Probably like only f- seven or eight when I watched the first one. And that was probably my introduction to what f- uh, fantasy is. Or like... Uh, what adventure is like when i was young because i think at the time i didn't know what i I was watching crappy b movies and then when i watched lord of the rings for the first time i was like whoa this is a movie like this is a whole grand scale of things it it was the first time i've watched i think at the time like a story continuing on to into three movies and i don't think i was introduced to star wars until like a little bit later But yeah, Lord of the Rings Return of the King, just an epic conclusion to a movie. You don't always get epic conclusions to all films that go on for so long. Yeah. You know, it's rare that like TV shows for example, it's rare that they get the grand finale that they do. But I think Lord of the Rings does that better. It does that one great thing that's that all TV shows and movies don't always hit is that great, perfect grand finale in my opinion where it ties up all loose ends you you it's fulfilling when you finish the movie you know you feel great about it you feel like you just went through the the journey to mortar towards sam and and frodo mm-hmm. yeah and that's what i like about the movie and it's it's rewatchable in a sense that if you want to watch the extended cuts of the movie <laughs> it's like four hours long each movie so <laughs> it'll be really rewatchable if you want to go into that <laughs> not the hobbit movies though i i'm not a big fan of the hobbit movies i i absolutely do not like them um yeah i think you hit all the points on the the lord of the rings franchise um my 10 is 
It could arguably be quite low if we do it ranking wise, but mm-hmm. I, I, I want to reiterate, <laughs> this isn't. Um, there's no like particular order for me. Yeah, I like listed off movies off the top of my head. I mean, we both did. We're just thinking of movies and we wrote them down. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fairly recent, so I'm not gonna say much about it. But Parasite. Uh, yeah, I had a feeling you're gonna add this one, so I didn't add it on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um. Clearly, there's a lot of accolades to um it, so it ha- it speaks for itself. But um, in general, I feel like it's a very good commentary on society and um the way that they structure the film is really good like um you could arguably say when it reached the half point of the movie that it could have been its own movie uh-huh. and then it just turned into a whole nother thing like after the half point and i think that's what i'll say about it because it's literally only like a couple months old for some people All right, my 10, I think it's a pretty generic one. Well, I don't know. It's something that I think all people would watch or eventually watch, and that's Star Wars. I I particularly specified it into the machete cut. So if you don't know what the machete cut is, it's like you watch Star Wars New Hope and then Empire, right? And at the end of Empire, spoilers, spoilers uh darth vader is luke's father <laughs> and then everyone you're left you're left off like what that's his dad and then and then you go back in time well forward forward in our time back but back in their time that you then you go watch episodes one two and three the the prequels well well episode one it's kind of like an optional one i usually just disregard that one Episode two and three are you learn more about Darth Vader. You learn more about like Anakin's history and like what he went through and like the struggles he went as a child and what what made him turn into the dark side at the end of episode three. And then once that's done, you go back and you rewatch episode six, Return of the Jedi, and now you have this whole history about who Anakin Skywalker is, why he became Darth Vader, and what makes that relationship of father and son much more complex in in return of the jedi um i i agree with star wars in general but i feel like if i feel like uh the machete cut is somewhat gatekeeping i mean uh, but but I, I agree like that if you're watching that way it could be a decent storytelling device mm-hmm but you don't really need to. I think it's more for like if you're already a fan of Star Wars and you're just trying to experience something else. That's like something much more like, oh, let's watch it this way, or you know, I don't like the prequels, or maybe this will give you a different insight of what you think about the prequels and or whatnot. Yeah. Anyways, what's your nine? Um, since we both watched this podcast, uh, Film House, right? Mm-hmm. House. Um, I agree with Adam Kovic's take on this. It's a Batman Begins. Um, oh, okay, okay. It's you said Inception is your favorite Nolan movie. I think um, Begins might be one of my favorite ones. 
arguably the Dark Knight, but Batman Begins is a very unconventional, like, superhero origin story, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because it takes him an hour or so to become Batman. But in most superhero movies, it's like the first 20, 30 minutes. Um, like, you see the journey of him becoming like a ninja, right? Training with him. And then after an hour, you see him in Gotham in the Batman garb. Mm-hmm. You completely forget it's a fucking Batman movie, like in the first <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like the journey to seeing him become Batman, especially with like Rachel Ghoul and um, the secondary villain like Scarecrow, like it's, it's uh-huh. really fun to watch. I think at the I think what Batman Begins did was like reintroduce Batman as like you know we could take him seriously. He doesn't have to be campy like the Joel Schumacher movies like (laughs) that's what that's what everybody loves to talk about uh, about Batman Begins is that we revitalize this new fresh air with Batman that it doesn't have to be campy it could be it could be serious but also taken into like a new vision new visionary ways new character uh, uh new characteristics about Batman and who he is and the people he's around and people helping and the villains he fights makes it much more on a personal note. Um, before you do your nine, I think once we reach six, we can stop and then we can do like another episode on our top five. Rewatch. Okay. Okay. What's your nine? My nine is actually something I watched when I was really young. I think in middle school. And it's not it's a movie not a lot of people talk about. And it's Tropic Thunder. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I love um, I love Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I was so tempted to put that on there. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> because of one of my movies that I put on there is relating to an actor on there. And I was like, should I uh, play his other movie? <laughs> uh, well yeah, oh, I love God. Tropic Thunder. It has you have Ben Stiller, Jack Black, and Robert Downey Jr. Like who thought you? Who would have thought you would get those three guys in the same movie, right? And essentially, it's a it's a movie that's uh, being meta about the current Hollywood state right now. You know, you got your typical action blockbuster actors doing all the action movies, like your Rocks or your Vin Diesel's, and then it uh, then they also have your generic like Oscar. Oscar winning actor, the guy who's always taking the dramatic roles like your, your uh, Joaquin Phoenixes or your Tom Hanks or any one of those or Leonardo DiCaprio's. And then you got the, like the generic funny guy who only does funny movies, but his movies tank or like are really bad. Like your Adam Sandler movies uh, during like the early 2000s or your Kevin James or whoever. And what Topic Thunder does is that it takes all those tropes and it amplifies it like to a thousand and makes it much more of a of a satire of itself of what it of being an actor in Hollywood is like and and what filming and, and movies are like and it makes it a lot more funny and it make pokes fun at itself that you know not everything has to be serious it's just a movie and it's just guys acting in a movie yeah 
and you got you got possibly what could have been a very controversial role for Robert Downey Jr. playing a black guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> playing a black guy, and and his character is a very Oscar driven actor, and he's taking it to the next step by being like a Daniel Day Lewis and engulfing himself in the character and becoming this black character in the movie and he be- he ends up becoming he ends up taking surgery that changes the pigment of his skin color essentially becoming ba- blackface but it doesn't take it too serious you know it pokes fun of how hollywood used to use blackface in movies or racial stereotypes in movies and they would cast other actors in the role and it pokes fun at that it makes it funny and it, it's not it's not to be taken too serious and it tells hollywood like hey you know you guys are a bunch of jackasses and like but things don't have to be serious all the time (laughs) Mm. i feel like that's a really good segue to my number eight um blazing saddles the Uh, uh because i feel like that movie alone is also like a commentary on hollywood during their time frame Mm -hmm. um they had like Gene Wilder as a really good uh like lazy sheriff. Um you had like the black guy I, I honestly forgot his name. I feel so bad. Um <laughs> like just the black guy. <laughs> you know like the, the 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 main actor. Um but in like oh, I got you. Like lazy. it went yeah. it, it went from a somewhat serious looking film and it just escalated and escalated into like meta commentaries on like social norms, um, mm-hmm. um, Hollywood tropes, like you said with the traffic thunder. However, I think like Blazing Saddles might be more critically acclaimed than Traffic Thunder. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like they're both really good at what they did in their own respective terms. How it's like being a parody of the genre it's supposed to be yeah um you kind of you kind of like lagged a bit but that's fine like it it came through oh all right hello we're back again um we were experiencing some technical difficulties uh but we'll start off with your uh, number eight mark your number eight film uh, okay so my number eight you mentioned how another movie in your list was your movie of the decade well this movie is my movie of the decade of the 2010s and that's blade runner 2049 oh damn it did you have that on no i should have put it on so a little a little history real quick so i was never into the first blade runner I, i watched it back in like high school and I thought it was just really confusing or and it was too long or it didn't make any sense to me at least. And it didn't take it took me a while to get back into it and rewatch it. And uh it wasn't until twenty forty nine came out where I thought, Oh, a sequel to this movie? Like why would they make a sequel to this movie? And I thought at the time it was like, you know, mediocre. But then when I when I watched it, I was just blown away of how uh, the art direction was and how they were able to expand the story of Blade Runner into a different uh, a different thread. 
of the same universe. And what I like about this one is the director, Denis Villeneuve. He made things from the first movie directed by Ridley Scott a lot more, uh, I guess, digestible. It wasn't so much long, heavy-winded exposition scenes or scenes where a character is looking off into the distance and you got to take in what they're thinking about. It, it made the story a lot more digestible for me. And it, and from from his directing style, it made it a lot more entertaining for me that way and not as confusing. And and you got great characters like Ryan Gosling's character and uh, Arm, Arm, Arm de Armis, right? Am I, yeah. am I saying that correct? Ana de Armas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Her introduction in this film was... She, she, I loved her performance this one almost as much as Knives Out and in, in her in her uh, performance there. So that's my number eight. Oh, uh, you know, um, I also wasn't into Blade Runner originally, but then when it got closer to Twenty Forty Nine's release date, I watched the director's cut. Uh-huh. Like, it re-released in um, I think either Regal or AMC. Mm-hmm. Then I uh, um got more into 2049 and i was glad that i rewatched or not rewatched i first watched uh, mm-hmm. the first blade runner at that point another thing i like about blade runner was harrison ford's character i didn't expect the long anticipated wait for his character in 49 but when it did i was ex- i was ecstatic i was joyous for it. it he really honed it in for this one it's like it was one of his great, great, better acting chops in recent memory from him, and maybe even his best, maybe better than the original one. But I really liked his dichotomy with Ryan Gosling and how they they both lived this life of a detective and where it took them later on, and how he, he his point of view conflicts with the other's point of view, but then they end up coming to an understanding at the end of the film. Uh, well, speaking of Knives Out, that is uh, my number seven. Oh, okay. Um, I'm a I'm a fan of the whodunits type movies because, like, in your first experience, you um, like try to guess who it could be. Like, you uh-huh. don't have an inkling the first go around, but then as you like rewatch it, like you try to pick up on details that uh that you may have missed. Um, but besides that, like, I really loved the character development and like how Ryan Johnson um, decided to portray and like showcase some characters uh, like through the trailers. You didn't expect Chris Evans to be like a big part of it. Uh huh. But then um, he comes in pretty late too in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's what, like half an hour until he like shows up mm-hmm. and then like everything just starts rolling like um like a big uh like uphill and you're like oh what's gonna happen next how does that fit into where um yeah i think like i wasn't convinced on ryan johnson's directing style because of like the last jedi at first oh yeah i think everybody had their concerns about lives or knives out after the last jedi yeah and then um um, after I watched Knives Out, I realized that he's more of like a uh, like a genre uh, defying director, mm-hmm. and that made me appreciate The Last Jedi a little bit more because, like, uh, 
like you think like oh it's like it's a star wars movie it should be like this but yeah but um i appreciated the last jedi more especially after rise of skywalker I what I do like about Ryan Johnson though is his writing skills, his, his script plays. Um, one thing I do really admire about Last Jedi, even though it does have its faults, is how it was able to take those twi- those normal Star Wars tropes yeah. and invert them. And he does the same thing in the Who Done It genre, you know. Um, Knives Out could have been just your generic murder mystery, like a clue. Or like a murder on the Orient Express or something like that. Or like, oh, you I bet you it was this guy or this person who did it or this woman. And the whole time you're thinking this is the person, but then it turns out to be someone else. Well, in Knives Out, well, he doesn't hold back on telling you who the who the killer was or, uh, later on. And then it's very much like a like a cop and ro- cops and robbers situation where they're trying to catch this person, but yet you know who the person is. Oh, yeah, no, like, that's what I really liked about it, too, because uh, mm-hmm. I watched Murder on the Orient Express, and I didn't like how oh, it just ended up being everybody. Mm-hmm. Except it's a very different case in Knives Out, and he makes it, like, the payoff really well. Yeah. What's your number seven? Oh, my number seven. So you mentioned Mad Max on your in your list yeah. as one of your like uh, favorite action movies. Well, when I thought of action, I thought of this. Fra- I thought of this movie first, and then I thought of Mad Max. And I think it's. I think they go hand in hand together. They could be number one, number two, either way. No matter how how you number your action franchises, but I picked Mission Impossible, particularly uh-huh. what four through six. <laughs> Fourth or six? Yeah, because I couldn't really pick. I think, I think from four, it was when I actually started being invested into the Mission Mission Impossible franchise. Um, uh, growing up, I I only watched the second Mission Impossible one, um, the one directed by John Woo. Do you have you watched that one? Yeah, but I I remember one and three better. Yeah, I I I have more memories about two and three than one, but I I watched Mission Impossible two and I thought just the directing style of it because I wasn't very familiar with John Woo's directing style at the time. I I didn't like how he tried mixing his style into the Mission Impossible movies, and for me, it kind of that's where I kind of fell off. And when I watched three, um. Well directed movie by J.J. Abrams, his first uh, directorial debut. But again, it wasn't nothing too too poppy or flashy about it that made me want to like be invested in this franchise. It wasn't until uh, what was it? Ghost Protocol was it? When Brad Bird came into the franchise and just reinvigorated this this franchise with Tom Cruise in it, who is now fifty plus and still doing these movies. Yeah, and. What makes it watchable for me is that the high action, you know, it the, the stakes are high. Um, no, you never know how a mission is going to turn out. Essentially, you you feel like Tom Cruise and his crew are never on top of things. They're always lacking behind while the antagonist of the film is feeling a lot ahead of them. 
two steps ahead of them while Tom Cruise and his crew are barely figuring how to get their equipment to work, uh, what the next mission is, what to do next. And I think and the latest entry, the Mission Impossible Fallout with Henry Cavill as, as the villain in that movie, just it, it topped things off for me. I, that's, I thought that was it. I thought that's where they're going to end it. I thought there, it was like the best Mission Impossible movie there was in that franchise at the time, but they're continuing on. So I'm curious on how they're going to do with two more movies in the franchise. Yeah. Um, my number six. I don't know if it will surprise you or not, but going back to you saying Tropic Thunder, I I said I was very close to putting that on my list because uh-huh. of a certain actor. Mm-hmm. My number six is Nacho Libre. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, that, that is, I do love that movie. <laughs> um, I I I I say it's one of the more rewatchable films because of how wholesome and how. Um, I I want to say how amazing Jack Black was in the film. Mm-hmm. Not not like a like a textbook acting type thing, but the way that he can entertain you and um, use it, like over the top, literally over the top Spanish accent. Um, mm-hmm. because you, you can easily tell he's not like he's not Mexican. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and I think him doing like a parody of a Mexican accent like is like the icing on the cake for me. Uh there's like so many memorable things that you can like pick out from the movie. Uh as a wrestling fan as well, like I really liked uh how they actually had a luchador as the main villain. Uh-huh. And um like the culture is really fun to watch with like Lucha Libre. Um, and I, I think if I had to say that, like, if I had to pick one movie that defines Jack Black, I think it would be this one. <laughs> um, I, to be fair, I could also say School of Rock. Yeah. But, I, I was going to say that was my favorite Jack Black movie. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I remember like growing up as a kid, um, this movie was like almost on all the time. Oh yeah, definitely on Nick Nickelodeon. I think yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a Nickelodeon film. Yeah, yeah. I what think what thing I do like about um, Nacho Libre is it his performance, Jack Black's performance. It doesn't feel scripted. It feels like it's improv almost all of the time. You see him on the screen, right? Yeah, or not scripted. That's, just, yeah, it's not scripted. It feels like he's just acting out the way he's his, he thinks his character would be, and I think that gives it more comedic charm about his performance in Nacho Libre. <laughs> yeah. um, so my number six, or did you have anything any no, no, more you want to add to that? I was going to ask you what your number six was. Oh, okay. My number six. Uh, I said that Inception was my favorite Chris Nolan film. Yeah. Well, my favorite film from this director, uh, uh, from Martin Scorsese's filmography, is Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. I find it much, uh, much more different, and it took a kind of different road to his traditional filmographies with, with like films like Casino or Goodfellas 
or The Departed. I, I felt this one was more comedic, but also uh, dramatic. And and one thing I do like about uh, Wolf of Wall Street is that it feels much more fast-paced than his usual films. It feels like it's on a quick note. It's everything is going at a, at a finger snap, you know. Yeah. And I love the I love Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in this movie as Jordan Belfort. It's it's not like like corny, but it's much more zany and it's 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 um enthusiastic. And he's always fast talking things. He's always trying to get to the next the next the next uh goal to him making more money. And Jonah Hill too. His his uh, supporting performance in that movie was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, um, this is the one with Matthew McConaughey too, right? Yeah, yeah. He has a short a short role in the beginning yeah. of the movie. Well, um, I think it's the chemistry with uh, Leo and Jonah Hill that give that boost in my ratings of. Martin Scorsese films that make it a lot more memorable for me and make me want to watch it more. And it's hot, it's a lot more uh, high octane, uh, shocking events in the movie while while following the life of Jordan Belfort and his life through becoming a stockbroker and all the crazy antics he went through uh, from his uprising and to his downfall. Which makes it memorable for me to watch, just because of those two performances. Mm. Um, is that it? Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of favorite directors, I think this ties into my number five. Um, a lot of people like to talk about how Baby Driver is Edgar Wright's best film. Uh, okay okay but, but in my opinion i think it's scott pilgrim versus the world oh man you got you got a movie on my list too <laughs> oh is that on your list too eh, uh, it's grouped up with another movie but i don't want to give it away but okay. go ahead talk about okay. scott pilgrim um the fact that he encapsulated like video game culture into like uh-huh. the sound effects the editing the acting especially like i think this could hit well with a lot of audiences except at the same time some people may not like the over the top um 80s video game type acting um one of my favorite parts of the movie is how chris evans is like such an asshole and like um was it like big headed like he thinks he's like a A-list actor, but he's more like a C-list actor in the in that uh-huh. one with like Luke something. He, he's like a, he thinks he's a big shot being yeah. in these action movies, yeah. Yeah, and then like you get the awkwardness of Michael Cera with um <laughs> the Ramona Flowers like relationship. Uh-huh. Like, for I assume most introverts or like nerds, that could be a very relatable thing. Um. I love how each like evil X was different. Um, I mean, yeah, besides that, like just how video gaming, the, the movie feels while also being like a really good editing 
and like mm-hmm. cinematography and like narrative showcase is the reason why I have it like on my list. Yeah, I, I would definitely put on my list too. But since I had a different movie in that in that spot, I'll talk about that later on. But one quick thing about Scott Pilgrim, you mentioned how they used like that eighties retro video game uh, artistic style and it's seen through the cinematography the editing and the art direction of the movie and that's really that really pops out in the movie for me and that makes it a lot way more fun than it would have been if it didn't have those things and the director from Edgar Wright with films like Hot Fuzz and World's End uh, you would definitely see his directing style in, in, in Scott Pilgrim which was like what like a like a comic book right or like a manga something like that it started off as a comic book but they were like the comic book was still being written while they were mm-hmm. yeah it's just a shame that like it didn't make money or we didn't get more movies about scott pilgrim i i blame the trailer if you look at a trailer it doesn't really sell the movie well uh, uh yeah i love that movie too but anyways so I think we mentioned this at the beginning of our podcast, but my number five was actually Harry Potter. And you mm-hmm. said that uh, I just listed them as one through seven. Okay. But you mentioned how your favorite was Prisoner of Azkaban and my favorite was Order of the Phoenix. And I don't think we'll spend too much time on this, but yeah. I think giving, given the time that we're in and how much free time everyone has now, that you could go by watching all seven of these movies like, like within, I don't know, a day, two days. <laughs> Depending on, like, if you want to sit on your ass for, like, <laughs> 12, no, like 14 hours. Yeah, that that's me, though. <laughs> oh, okay. But, yeah. And it's a great film. Uh, it's You really get to see the lives of these actors in real lives uh, portray characters of Harry, Hermione, and Ron. And you see them essentially just grow up throughout the, each film that 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 they star in and you really feel each, each movie has has growing stakes in it you feel like the threat is looming larger and larger and you you're thinking like how is this you know boy with who has no idea how to use any of these magic enchantments or spells how is he going to be able to defeat this great evil that he's he's it's essentially destined to defeat. And I really like the journey it takes them. Same how I mentioned for Lord of the Rings, you really follow the journey of Sam and Frodo trying to destroy this ring. It's the same thing with Harry Potter. You follow these group of kids trying to find their place in the world, trying to overcome evil, trying to figure out who they are and what, what are they trying to do and how do they find the help that they need? And as well as growing into their own person. Mm, Okay. I f- yeah, I feel like we covered most of it, like in uh-huh. the last ep- or like the last episode, I guess, or part. The last half of or the last the beginning part of our podcast. Yeah. Um, should I go to number four? Oh uh, yeah, go ahead. Do your number four. Um, I think this is my personal favorite movie of 2019. Um, as much as I like Parasite, The Lighthouse, um, was it? Ford versus Ferrari, um, Booksmart is uh, uh, 
quite honestly my favorite movie of 2019 and possibly my favorite movie like at least coming of age movie of all time like at least yeah the coming of age movie of all time because uh like you have two girls right as a protagonist one is this um nerd who just wants to get a's and the second one is also a nerd but is a lesbian and she's just uh like they both haven't gone to parties at all then you find out that like everyone at their school is going to top tier schools but they also partied hard but they're all also like separate entities and like separate characters you have like the gay theater kid you have like the two stoners or three stoners that you meet in the bathroom um there's jared right like he's like the attention wanting um kid who has like a lot of money uh-huh um the teachers themselves and the principal like everyone in this movie is just like memorable even if like they're a small part um and i think honestly i think this is better than super bad oh i know it's like i i I love super bad though it's a it's a hard like opinion to come across because super bad is really good with um just stoner like comedy but also coming of age Mm -hmm. but i feel like especially in um 2019 and like all the 20 year olds maybe even teenagers I think it could be a little bit easier for them to relate to this movie. Um, do you have anything to say about it? Because I dra- I dragged you to watch it like last year. Yeah. Um. So I remember you kept on begging us or like pecking at us to go watch this movie. Because I remember in our in our group circle, you said that Booksmart was probably your favorite movie of all year, and I remember. Me and a couple of our friends were like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> and then uh, a little bit of time passes on. And Booksmart at the time was in like every movie theater. It started to be played less in theaters. And you're like, come on, we got to go watch this. We got to go watch this. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll, we'll go watch it. We'll go watch it. And I remember you brought us to the theaters to go watch it. And I was thinking like, all right, fe- uh, female growing up to uh, – female high school movie coming of age tale i wasn't expecting too much right but uh after the theaters i was blown away by how 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 this could be olivia wilde's director directorial debut and i thought it was it reinvented the typical coming of age drama that we saw in like movies like super bad um I, st- I still think Superman is my favorite movie, but this is a close, a close second, a close top, uh, top one. But that's what I, that's what I really like about it. it. It took different a different perspective of like these smart girls who thought like, oh, 
uh, we have to get like straight A's. We have to attend every class, participate in every club in order to get a good college. And then it turned it turned the the trope of the genre of like, oh no, you can party and have fun and still get into a good college. And and the whole movie took a turn with, oh, these girls spent the entire high school career just studying instead of having fun. But but I but I love seeing how they go through their trials and tribulations of what it means to be a high schooler, what it means to be growing up, becoming no longer a teenager, but becoming an, an adult now, having your own mindset, not always having to be around your friends, but also growing into your own person is what I like about it. Yeah, no, um, when you said it was uh, Olivia Wilde's directorial debut, debut, I think she technically directed uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers music video first. And oh, this. okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But I think I think it's under her IMDb. Um, what's your number four? My number four. So, uh, my number four takes place in high school, but they're not high schooler students. They're undercover cop high schooler students. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and this and my number four is Twenty One Jump Street because I remember I remember in high school. I think it, I think we were in our sophomore year. I remember someone told me, "Oh, you gotta go watch this movie." You go, it's. It, I didn't know anything about it, and there, there, te- there, people were saying like, "Oh, I didn't expect this movie to be good. I didn't expect it to be anything at all." And then all of a sudden, all this buzz started coming around. And I, I was like, "All right, I'll go watch it." And then I wa- I, I remember sneaking into the theater to go watch this movie at the time because I, I think we're only like what fifteen or sixteen, and then. I remember coming out of 21 Jump Street and thinking Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum are the funniest duo ever. Uh-huh. Like, they have some of the best scenes out of, out of the entire, like, what, 2010s when it comes to comedic movies. They had some of the most memorable and funniest scenes, like, when they're tripping on acid and, like, they start doing a bunch of random stuff around the school. And, like... Th- I don't think anybody expected Channing Tatum to pull off this role of being such a comedic powerhouse and like nearly carrying on the torch or carrying on the baton along with Jonah Hill and what it means to become like a comedian. And I I don't know about you, but I didn't know 21 Jump Street was a TV show at the time. So this is my introduction to them. And and I and its sequel following along with 22 Jump Street, I thought it did a a, a great job at portraying uh or being a parody of college life you know yeah oh which one was the one where the my name my name jeff came from that's the, that's the second one. Oh, okay <laughs> um, yeah I, re- I remember watching both of those movies and thinking wow i can't wait for the third one oh. and then uh, there are leaks about men in black and 21 jump street i'm like no way and man, do I wish it came true. <laughs> you know, um, I completely glazed over 21 Drum Street. I, I probably should have had that on my list at some point. Yeah. Great, great comedy. I really love, I, I think a theme with my movies is that a lot of it is comedy. Because I love, I love just having good laughs. Yeah. And it's an easy, and mem- an easy time to just, to just have fun with these movies, you know? 
And it, it, that just increases the rewatchability of some of these movies. Just having a good time. Yeah. That that ties into um, my next three. Um, my third one, on or my number three is... Uh, I just mentioned the director like a couple numbers ago, but uh, Edgar Wright. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if you know about the Cornetto trilogy or like how it's a group of um, movies. It's, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, the Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and At World's End. Uh huh. I honestly think it's three of the best, at least with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, like some of the best comedy. Like, oh movies. man, you just you just took my number two. Shaun of a Shaun of the Dead was my number two. <laughs> oh, um. Well, I, I guess you can like chime in more too with this one since it's your number two. But um, all right, all right, go ahead, go ahead, do your thing. Yeah, you know, like uh, his directing style is like on point with this, like like the the quick cuts to, um, mm-hmm. from like like the montages, like it's like a like a like a parody of the montages, right? Where like they're getting ready, and then like. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being like a montage of like them getting ready, at some point in the middle of that like small montage, um, he like makes like some goof in there, like oh like a like maybe like there's a piece of food stuck in their teeth and like they gotta like take it out or um. It's definitely the uh, quick editing that helps the fast pace, the fast pacing in his movies that make it a lot more snappy, a lot more funnier a lot more uh uh going yeah and like one of my favorite parts especially for Shaun of the dead is a uh, like in the beginning of the movie you see um simon Pegg's character go to like the store right uh-huh and like there's all these like mindless people like doing whatever and like they recreate that part like 20 30 minutes later when the zombies come out and it's almost the exact same scene except like obviously now there's like a zombie outbreak and he, uh-huh. and like Simon Pegg's character doesn't notice because um not only is he like a mindless like character at that point but like everything else seems normal to him because of how everyone's like acting like, like yeah when I yeah like the attention oh, no, no, to detail ahead, yeah. uh-huh. the attention to detail about like all the scenes and like, um, and like how he uh, transitions from like one location to another. It's not just like he shows a sign that says London or whatever. Like mm-hmm. they do like a montage of like Simon Pegg's character going on like a train or whatever to go to like London because it's a way more entertaining way to see that transition than just like showing a plane flying and there's like a london sign yeah that's one thing i I, have that is definitely prevalent in all of edgar wright's movies it's you definitely feel his uh, directing his editing and his writing style in his movies and that makes it wholly original to him is that it's very quick-witted you know it's very on your feet comedy it's very um attention to detail like what you said there's a lot of montages and quick editing that is in his uh movies especially the cornetto trilogy and uh 
I remember the first time watching Shaun of the Dead was, oof, I remember I was, I was sick at sick and I was home from school. And I remember my older sister at the time was watching TV and she said, you want to watch this movie? And I said, what is it? And she said, it's a zombie movie. You'll like it. I'm like, oh, okay. And she said, yeah, it's really funny. I think you'll like it. And then at the time it was still called Spike TV, I think. Oh, yeah. And then she turned on, she flipped to the channels and it was Shaun of the Dead. And I remember watching Nick Frost and Simon Pegg just going back to back with each other. Their quick dialogue, their their insults to each other, and then how they're planning out things for or like what the what they're gonna do for their zombie apocalypse, right? They're like saying, "All right, we go get Liz," and then oh, we pick up my mom, and then we go to the pub and we hide we go we hide in the pub, right? And they do that like what three two or three times in the movie. Yeah. And like each time it's different. Each time it's it's a lot more zanier and a lot more quicker. And just when I when I watched it, I could I could tell this wasn't just a, a, like some ordinary director directing this movie. I could tell like oh this person has some sort of style to what he's trying to do. He has some sort of uh, feel to what he's trying to create in his movie, and that's what latched me on to his next following movies following hot fuzz when it was like a parody of like the cop buddy cop genre yeah. and then when it came to world's end about the literally the world ending <laughs> and then his what was it his most recent movie a uh, baby driver yeah um like going back to like the uh, attention to detail and like the montage like i just remembered like in at world's end like they're doing like the bar crawl right yeah. And, like, I think in the beginning of the bar crawls, I think Nick Frost's character is, like, sober, right? Like, he, he quit, like, drinking. Yeah. Instead of him saying, oh, I'm, like, like sober, they do, like, like a montage with the drinks. Every other character gets, like, the, the glass with the beer in it from the tap. When it comes to the last one, it's him, right? And it shows uh-huh. him getting water. So, like, instead of just saying, oh, yeah, I, I don't want to drink, they just, like, show, like, him getting water as opposed to just um, just talking about it. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'll go on with my number three because we could talk about uh edgar wright all day because i love edgar wright's movies i love scott pilgrim too and oh we could talk about that one too but my number three uh speaking of rewatchable um they play this every christmas and even in even even before christmas like around thanksgiving and even after the new year and i remember as a as a little kid i always wanted to do this i always wanted to be this guy i thought about you know, leaving booby traps around the house for oh, unexpected okay. unsuspected guests. And I thought, oh, maybe one day my house might get robbed. And this, I, I know how to formulate my own plans now, and I know what to do. And and we're not, we're not, we're we're talking about, of course, uh, Home Alone one and two. Yeah. <laughs> I, I include two because I, I, whenever I feel like watching Home Alone one, I feel like ho- watching Home Alone two, and I, I love both of those movies, but Home Alone one definitely 
definitely fires up the inner kid in me every time I watch it. Uh, just talk about amazing kid performance from like Macaulay Culkin, you know, landing in a bottle. And just the way the the way the the movie portrays how a kid thinks what being an adult is like living on your own without your family, right? He gained so much freedom to do all these things, and and especially during Christmas time, he feels like he's finally away from his family. He's not holding the bear the burdens of being held back of by his older brother and his and his cousins and his uncle and his mom and dad, and I. Th- I think it gives that movie a fresh perspective, I guess, that we're looking through the movie through these kids, through this kid's eyes of like what what it means to be a grown up and how much fun it could be at times and how much scary it could be just being on your own. And I just love the the innocence of the movie, though, despite how violent he is towards towards uh, the wet bandits. Yeah, no, I, I remember, like, as a kid, like, um, I always imagined being at home, like, after watching this movie, I always imagined being at home alone would result, uh-huh. like, would almost immediately result in, like, some random strangers trying to break into the house. Oh, yeah, dude, me too. <laughs> so, like, I, I tried to not go, or, like, to not be left alone, like, for the most part, I I was not afraid to be home alone. Uh, growing up, I was okay with it. I grew up with uh two other sisters, so we had the three of us together. Oh, but no, like, I, what I meant is like literally just alone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. just ho- literally just you by yourself at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I guess what home alone did for me was give me that creativity of being on my own of being by myself but also remembering how fortunate and lucky i am to have people around me at home to be there to be that security blanket that i need same thing for kevin who needed a security blanket of his mother and his his dad to be there for him his family because he after like what halfway in the movie he he realizes like oh i living by myself is kind of hard you know being an adult isn't everything uh uh, i do value my family and what they do for me and what it means to be like a whole a whole family during a during during a holiday like christmas when you should be around your family you know yeah um do i go in my number two yeah go ahead go on your number two number two um is Mean Girls. Uh, I, I was going to add Mean Gir- Girls, but I had a feeling you might add it. Why? Why? Yeah, why yeah. for me? No, no. no. <sighs> um, why did you suspect me to have Mean Girls? Because uh, I, I had a feeling you would have added Booksmart, too. Oh, okay. I had, my first instinct was that you're going to add Booksmart, right? And I was going to add Mean Girls. But I felt like maybe if Mark adds Booksmart, he'll maybe tie that in somehow. Mean Girls or or Super Bad or something like that. So I didn't I didn't put any high school coming of age movies on my list because okay. I I thought you would cover it with Booksmart. But I I but you you brought it up with Mean Girls as well, which is surprising to me. <laughs> Dang, like you you know me quite well apparently. <laughs> um, 
you know, like Mean Girls, I think, like, it's the classic early 2000s, like, chick, not chick, but like, um, like, movie that you can watch, like, um, on your own or with friends, just, uh-huh. like, oh, like, if you have, like, no movie to watch, it could just easily just be Mean Girls, because it's so, um, it's also relatable in a way. Like you see the clicks, especially in like middle school or high school. There were clicks there. Um, um, it's definitely something relatable for all people who go through high school. You know, yeah. you see like in any circumstance when you go to high school that you see like different groups forming around each other. You have like all the popular kids there, the drama kids this way, uh, the band kids that way. And I think that's what uh, Mean Girls dramatizes uh, about uh, high school life is, while well, although a little bit too, uh, oh, oh, too over psych- I wouldn't say sarcastic, but like on the nose, oh, yeah, on the nose about things about high school cliques. But it's definitely very relatable in that sense that we all see these things on high school. Um, we all experience it, you know. I, something we all make fun of i i love how that's like it's one of our first exposures to like rachel mcadams uh-huh and then like what like a year or two later she's in like the notebook <laughs> yeah um wait yeah, like every like just like with like book smart i feel like every character was able to like have their memorable moment or carry mm-hmm. a scene through their dialogue or actions um especially with like that one dude was Damien or like, um, he's, he's like a strong presence in his scenes. Everybody knows the whole, like you go Glen Coco line. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amanda Seafried with, a I have ESPN. <laughs> um, and she could tell the weather yeah. with her, uh, with her breasts. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like Tina Fey, she's like a really good writer. Um, and she, oh yeah, her script was really good for this. Very relatable. Like the fact that she was able to turn this into like a Broadway thing too, and like modernize it, is surprising to me. It was a Broadway play. Yeah, I think either they started it last year or sometime like within like last couple of years, or they're going to start it. Oh, that's new to me. I that I didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, we can Google it, but I don't want to. <laughs> All right, so number one movies. Oh no! Oh yeah, you already did your number two. I forgot. Oh yeah, my number two was Shaun of the Dead, which we ch- we touched on a little bit with when when Mark talked about the Cornetto trilogy. Um, should I just do my number one then? Yeah, go ahead and do your number one. Um, the Paddingtons. Oh, interesting! Interesting. Okay, um, definitely, definitely forgot about it. So that was off my radar. But good, wholesome movies. <laughs> like, arguably, I would say the second one was better, even though, um, that's like a cliche, like that the first one's always gonna be better. I think the second one held up so much. Like I, I just rewatched it like 
last week. Um, but the fact that like the writers and like the actors were able to bring to life this CGI bear who is very polite, who is um, the most wholesome thing in the world and made it into this like two hours each amazing wholesome movie is like skillful among the actors in the cast and like like very well skilled as well like in the writer's room um, uh-huh. the editing room and um like directing too like like they made this bear like such a strong presence even though it's a cgi bear i i am one of the unfortunate ones who have not seen either paddington one or two but i've not heard nothing but great things about about how wholesome paddington is and how how kind and generous and and curious he is and and the innocence the movie has about it so i definitely need to check out paddington one and two like i think it's a really good moral like story and like you can learn a lot of lessons from it mm-hmm. like um like you learn that like even the smallest actions that you do have an impact like you might not think that like giving like someone compliments or like uh um doing something nice for somebody like even like small things uh-huh. will like affect people, but I I think these two movies portray that very well. Like, um, it shows the actions of how this small bear was able to bring together a family and like the neighborhood that they live in, and became like this happy like thing, this conglomerate of a neighborhood because of just one bear not even a bear but like i guess metaphorically like people in general like you could mm-hmm. um you just take away so much from this movie or the two movies uh-huh. just two movies yeah the, um like the writing and like his dialogue and what the morals of the story were so for my number one movie yeah despite this list of movies that we've been talking about not being ranked at all <laughs> okay <laughs> but the the what I, when we were creating this list uh the first movie i thought of that was the most rewatchable movie for me at least was something i saw way back when when i was i don't know first grade or something like that and I said, oh, I want that car. That car is cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I wish I got a car that could do that. And then when I got a hold of her, I was like, wow, I, I'm still loving this movie. I, I'm still finding things I didn't know about it. <laughs> Until this day, I just watched it recently, maybe like a month ago or something on TV, because they're always playing this movie on TV. Uh-oh. Um. So for my number one movie, it doesn't need no roads. <laughs> and that's Back to the Future. You can take your pick of Back to the Future 1, 
part two or part three, but I'm talking about the first one. Oh, you you had me um, you had me thinking it was like Transformers. No, no, no. <laughs> Back to the Future. Okay. Fun fun fact that uh, my neighbor actually has a DeLorean and has the 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 big exhaust things on the back of the car and he even has like the food grinder on top of it and the uh uh the the whole layout of the car where it looked like it it flips out its tires and it looks like it's flying away Mm. well anyways back to the future i i i feel like you could just pop this in any time no matter how you feel like sad happy um, the uh, depressed, even uh, you just broke up with your boyfriend, and you need a good feel movie. Just pop in Back to the Future. Uh, what I like about Back to the Future is that that you have a great casting of Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox, and Michael J. Fox is like this young, uh, this young uh, pop guy, really into rock and roll really loving skateboarding not so much into school unlike his 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 dad and you pair him up with a a zany scientist with christopher lloyd who people write him off as like a lunatic as a crazy guy and then all of a sudden when he's sent back to the future he michael j fox has to run around and do all these things to make certain events and dominoes fall in order to get back into the future. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's just a fun ride, you know. You can't really complain too much about it. You could pin, you could pick apart some little things here and there about the movie, but it's one of those movies where every now and then people talk about remaking it, but why would you just remake it, you know? It's it's perfectly fine on its own. It's one of those movies that you just can't remake and it's a good feel movie. And if you decide watching the other two movies, part one, part two, and part three, they're good feel as well. And I just like how they all line up together as one solid, albeit somewhat consistent, uh, storyline. Yeah. You know, um, and oh, go on. No, I was gonna ask you any thoughts about it. Oh no, I was gonna say like when you mentioned that like. Uh there wasn't any rankings i just i just knew that paddington and padding one and two was gonna be my first movie on there oh okay just like how you did with back to the future Uh uh-huh i yeah i that when i thought of most rewatchable movies back to the future is on number one on my list yeah so i think that's our list (laughs) yeah yeah um i guess like on the next episode or like the next recording that we do, we can do the TV shows. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, there are definitely a lot more TV shows. Um, not uh, personally me, not a big TV uh, watcher, but I, there are a handful of TV shows I, I would love to discuss later on. Yeah. All right. Well, that was the episode, I guess. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm Mark. And I'm Mark. And it was the Mark and Mark podcast. <laughs> talk to you guys later or <laughs> hope you guys listen to us later <laughs> yeah or re-listen to it <laughs> all right catch you guys next time yeah